to Beyond BIM. Today's episode is another deeper look into the future state of BIM for 2021 and beyond. We also touch upon macro BIM adoption from an academic perspective. I had the pleasure of speaking to Professor Mohamed Qasem, who joined me to share his thoughts on the debates around the future state of BIM in 2021 and beyond. We also glean on insights from his work into macro BIM adoption, and in line with all things beyond BIM, we even talk about blockchain. If you don't know who Mohammed is, he's the professor of digital construction and engineering at Northumbria University in Newcastle. He's considered an expert into his work on research in digitalization and digital transformation of construction and built environment. But his work spans across four intertwined themes, that is technology, processes, people, and policy. From his experience with consultancy appointments that have had a global reach with governments and public sector bodies, I thought it's probably best to find out more about MacroBIM directly from Mohammed, and also to discuss what the future state of BIM looks like, particularly from the policy perspective. And now, let's hear more from Mohammed directly on the future state of BIM and beyond. Thank you very much, Mohammed, for joining us on Beyond BIM. Now, to start off with, I would like to get to know a little bit more from your perspective on what are your thoughts on the state of BIM for 2021 in the UK? And maybe you could also talk a little bit about some of the technologies that might push us beyond BIM. Thank you very much, Erika, for having me. Uh, I think it's uh, very useful to give um, a little bit of context to the question. And um, it's good to start really by reviewing slightly the past, the last 10, 15 years, very briefly, really what happened to BIM. I think what happened over the last 10, 15 years is um, it took us a long time to recognize that BIM is uh, not only a technology. Uh, unfortunately, we debated for a long time the definition until uh, you can you can um, you know academically you can look at the definition very few academics define bim holistically but for the for most of us in academia but also in industry it took us a while to really broaden the connotation of bim to include uh, process and policy only when countries like the uk started uh, looking at bim holistically across the life cycle multidisciplinary across different built assets only then we started really understanding BIM as a, a holistic concept uh, that's not only about building, that's not only about technology. However, I'm not, some good definition existed before that, but unfortunately, uh, most of us don't follow uh, the academic definition until they see a major example, uh, a major shock like happened, for example, with certain country pushing the adoption of BIM. So, um, Having that, like, uh, after reaching this uh, point where we know uh, what BIM is currently, um, what we have, we have uh, the academia, we have the process player who are the construction uh, sector, and we have the technology players. And the speed of what what BIM means in the next uh, year or the next few years is different among those three layers. Uh, 
process players, which is the general construction industry that they are currently focused on BIM as an information management, not anymore a technology, which is really a good thing. There is lots of legacy to catch up in terms of information management. Uh, the technology developers, I think they are a little, uh, far ahead of academia, far ahead of the process players, and they are looking into um, advanced way of collaborating over the cloud. They are looking into computational design, into artificial intelligence, and so on. Academia, somehow similar to um, to the technology players, uh, technology developers, uh, but we in academia are not as good as a technology player in advancing and commercializing our innovation, but we more or less we are working on the same topic, computational design, generative design, AI, and uh, cloud collaboration and uh, uh, automation. These are main, the main topic more or less in terms of this year and the next few years across the three player types. So there's quite a lot of layers to think about even into 2021. So not just solely on the technology. Now, maybe I would like to then move on to some of the work that you've done as well. So far, you've been doing research on macro BIM adoption. And I also had the pleasure of interviewing Bilal Sukar, who you've also collaborated with on this topic. Now, could you give us a little overview of the research you've done on this particular topic to date? And what are some of the drivers behind your particular interest in that topic? And what can we expect in the future from you with regards to that topic? Yeah, um, I mentioned earlier um, how long it took uh, for BIM to be adopted at market-wide level. And when BIM adoption started at market-wide level, all policymakers didn't have any uh, tools, decision-making uh, support systems, or uh, uh, or any kind of tools really to develop policies for market-wide transformation. So we identified that issue back in 2011, and we started working on it uh, after doing some of the legwork, some of the foundational work that was really successful in terms of uh, it helped us to work on a similar real-world consultancy for several government around the, the world. Then we, uh, with Bilal Sukkar, we set up the BIM Excellence Initiative where we positioned this um, um, this work as a project called Macro BIM Adoption. And the reason behind it, we want to give policymakers and public sector bodies uh, the tools that help them to digitally transform the construction sector in a more, let's say, in a, in a an evidence-based way, in a research-driven way, rather than just learning from case studies that happened elsewhere. Uh, so we've been working on this um, now, and the next uh, big step we are doing is uh, we are developing um, three types of survey because we realized over time there are lots of surveys, and you are aware of like. Uh, many surveys that goes back to 2013 saying adoption level were 59 and 79%. If they were true, we would yeah. have now full adoption. So there is lots in the design of surveys used in academia. There's lots in academia, but also in practice, those commissioned surveys. There's lots of uh, subjectives, uh, subjectivities. There's lots of opinions. There is uh, the responses aren't verified. So what we are doing to address this problem and... Um, not just to improve the way services are done, but to understand how adoption, macro BIM adoption happen within markets. We are developing three types of survey. One that looks at uh, the organization, uh, at organization within a market, 
one that looks at policy environment and what uh, one that looks at educational environment. Those three services together, they can give you a clear idea about um, the maturity of BIM uh, in a market. And if you do that over like 50 countries, if you are able to assess using those three services, 50 countries, you will be able to really do lots of analysis in terms of what works, what, what doesn't work, what doesn't work. So currently, um, we've been designing those service, believe it or not, for 13 months, and we haven't finished uh, designing wow. them. Yeah. yeah, And the idea really is to remove totally the subjectivity. So there'll be no single question that's subjective. So hopefully we aim to finish those service in the next uh, couple of months and we will launch them across almost 50 countries worldwide with, wow. some, with some automation, with some dashboarding and hopefully some data analytics in future to understand what works, what doesn't work in terms of microbiome adoption. So that's so, the plan currently we are working so on. So we could have like the first global mass BIM survey as a result of this work. Yes, the way we are doing it, uh, of course, it's a major uh, uh, effort. So the way we are doing it, for each survey type, we partner with a local partner, with a local institution. So it's not, uh, uh, our relationship is not with individuals. So for example, within a given country, we partner with a university to take care of uh, the educational environment survey. We partner with a public sector body or an association to take care of the policy environment survey and with a perhaps professional body to take care of uh, the organization survey. So this is where we are. We're heading, uh, hopefully, in the new year, we'll be launching those uh, three types of survey. Sounds exciting. And I know that on top of all of that work that you're doing, you're also a collaborator on the Construction Blockchain Consortium. So maybe you might also enlighten our listeners more about the relevance of blockchain technology in the built environment specifically. Yeah, uh, yeah, we are currently, um, I was lucky at Northumbria University to set up a PhD four years ago on blockchain in construction, was the first PhD worldwide on the subject. Uh, so that gave us a little bit of advantage in term, because we were able to put some of the publication in very respected journals. We were the first to put some of the publication. So we built some uh, quite a lot of collaboration as a result of that. Um, Currently, one of the collaboration is with the Construction Blockchain uh, Consortium. As you know, the Construction Blockchain Consortium work on um, sharing knowledge and advancing, um, uh, basically, understanding the implication of digital innovation. One of those innovations is blockchain. So we are uh, working on a white paper with uh, CBC uh, that's going to be issued before the summer, looking at... Uh, the implication of blockchain to the built environment and um, as well how BIM and blockchain can have complementary roles. So this is a current paper, of course, like uh, with a cybersecurity uh, implication, you are involved in that. And um, my PhD student, Jenny, is as well working in terms of application of blockchain. Mm -hmm. In terms of application of blockchain in construction, uh, there are many, many applications. People would be surprised uh, to hear how many applications there are. Uh, there are even actually categories for applications. So if you take the category of information management, there are at least seven, eight 
publication is spanning across digital record, traceability systems, uh, uh, traceability of decision, automation of administration, on and so on. There are really many applications because many people, when you say blockchain, they immediately associate it with smart contract and they talk about payment. It's mm-hmm. not only about payment. Blockchain is one specific type of uh, let's say distributed ledger technologies mm-hmm. uh, so we are looking in, in this paper we are looking at all possible um, application of blockchain uh, how blockchain make part of the technological wider technological systems that offer solution to many of the challenges we have in construction so there are really payment application information management application supply chain application um, uh, actually, within the academic literature, there are almost currently, just in construction, not the wider built environment, mm-hmm. there are about 140 plus papers investigating application of blockchain and distributed digital technologies in construction. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of um, anticipated benefits, there are really, really many anticipated benefits. They haven't been measured because most of the research still uh, uh, providing proof of concept, very few real-world application. But thing, uh, blockchain applications are really coming up and there is significant interest around it from, I would say, most leading universities. Wow. So we can expect that more uptake, at least piloting commercially, is going to also take place in the construction uh, sector. Uh, of course, I think this is a next step now because uh, we recently, with my PhD student Jenny, we did a systematic review where we looked at all application. We mapped something like about 140 application. Only 28% of those applications are uh, presenting proof of concept and a lower percentage are presenting real-world applications. This is a t- normal trajectory in um, uh, usually that many technologies follow. So we expect soon to be seeing uh, uh, proof of concept, uh, but also real-world technology being used. Excellent. And I think for those listeners that are outside of academia, they might also be interested to know, you know, from your perspective as an academic, you read and write a lot of peer-reviewed papers. What are some of the biggest debates or trending topics that academics are focusing on right now when it comes to digitization of the built environment? Yeah, uh, there are actually uh, one of the topics that's of debate uh, that is a digital twin, of course, a digital twin versus BIM. And um, interestingly, um, I've been looking at social media discussion and uh, I was able to categorize uh, the views in three. Those like unconvinced, you know, there are um, a category of people say, actually, there is nothing called digital twin. This is a rebranding of BIM unconvinced. Uh-huh. So yeah, and then you have the committed, those who are um, who are convinced uh, that digital twin is the next big thing, and they don't see any contradiction or overlap between digital twin and any other concept. And then in between those two, are then decided those who say, okay, uh, there is this something called digital twin. Let's look at it and let's look at it objectively to see how it relates, how it overlaps, how it contradicts existing or competing or related 
concepts. So I, I actually um, am writing about these things <laughs> now in, in these days. And um, so this is uh, in terms of uh, big debate, unfortunately, currently on social media, but also in academia and the peer-reviewed world, the same debate is reflected. Uh, not to the, And you can actually create a parallel between the three categories I mentioned and the views in, um, in peer-reviewed literature. In peer-reviewed literature, I found as well there are three kind understanding those who says digital twin start where BIM ends. Uh, so that's one view or one understanding. Another view they're saying actually they are totally two distinct concepts. And uh, for example, there was Raphael Sachs report from CDBB recently who, are, who argue for this vision. They are two distinct concepts and they put emphasis on uh, the promptness of feedback or from sensor to the digital replica as one of the distinguishing thing between women digital twin. Mm-hmm. But there is a third view as well, a third understanding who says um, they're actually complementary technology and they coexist. So this mm-hmm. is where we are in terms of social media, also in terms of peer-reviewed literature. Yeah. This is a major area of debate and I, I assume it will continue. Uh, and so for years to come, and I hope it doesn't really. I my advice, uh, my personal advice, we had the same issue I mentioned my in my opening uh, question, my answer to your opening question about BIM. Whatever digital twin is, we shouldn't um, we shouldn't argue for a long time over the definition. If the definition, like it took us twenty years to talk to move from BIM to information management. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't do the same with digital twin. Let's give it an explicit name. Forget about the label. What is it exactly? And let's name it. Yeah. Uh, so pr- probably after, uh, I don't know, we don't want after 20 years to say digital twin is about linking digital model or linking physical asset to their digital replica. Mm-hmm. No, remove the label and just give it something specific uh, about it. Yeah. Makes sense. I think for finally, for a bit of inspiration, this is just something I ask a lot of the academics who I interview, and that is, what advice would you give to early career researchers, especially when they are pursuing their, you know, preferred topics of interest and trying to make impact or change in the built yeah. environment? Yeah, I, I definitely... Uh... As you know, my big, my, I have three important pieces of advice. I wish every <laughs> early career academic or researcher can really take them on board. One of them is really uh, you have to research something that you are really passionate about, not just following, don't just follow the hype. Of course, it has to be aligned with a thematic area of research, but you have to be passionate about it. Uh, the second one, whatever you decide to do, do it properly. Unfortunately, don't rush to publish. Even if you delay your publication 15 months, two years, do it properly. It pays back to do high quality uh, uh, research. Spend some time really uh, understanding the term, concepts, their delineation. Do, so, do some formal training on self or self-training about research methods. And the final one, really collaborate with industry. Without collaborating with industry, the research you can produce will never be the same. So collaboration with industry is really key. Cool. 
And finally, a heartfelt thank you to all of our followers who have been with us so far. If you enjoyed this episode, then please follow us on LinkedIn or YouTube. And better yet, share this episode with your friends and colleagues.